Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership interview series. I'm so thrilled today to have Jules Brooke with me. Jules, welcome to the conversation. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Melissa. I love chatting with you. So anytime. <laughs> so this series is titled No More Secrets, and it's about extraordinary leaders sharing their own journey from good to great. Um, and I love your story, Jules. Um, let me you. briefly touch on a couple of points in your bio, um, and then I'll get you to expand on that for us. Sure. So yours is on a mission to help make women more visible and more connected particularly business women over 45. She also wants to showcase all the incredible women that are changing the world with their businesses. So Jules is the founder of Handle Your Own PR, a DIY PR service for business owners that has helped thousands of small business owners make millions of dollars worth of media exposure by running their own PR campaigns. Jules also founded the She's the Boss community, which was how you and I met. Yeah. And um, and I would love you to sort of dig into that and give us more about that. But Jules, once again, welcome. Thank and you. for the people in our audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, would you take us through a little bit about what you do and who you are? Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so as you've so beautifully said, I started Handle Your Own PR, which I did in no, no, I'm going to go back a little bit further. I, I had a PR agency that I started when my youngest son was one. I fell into PR because, do you remember Con the Fruiterer, Mark Mitchell? I do. I met him at a party and he thought I did PR. I actually had an agency. I was doing graphic design at the time, but it wasn't really going very well. And he rang me about two weeks after the party and he said, Jules, uh, they're bringing out a best of Con the Fruiterer DVD and I've told them that you're the best person in Melbourne to do the PR. And I said, thank you so much, Mark. That's great. And I hung up and I went, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> so I rang all my friends who were in PR and I said, how about we split it? And I'll, you know, which a lot of people do in agencies, especially when you're small, um, I'll do the client facing side and you do the PR. And they said, no, 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 I haven't got the time and you'd be really good at it. Give it a go. So I gave it a go and I loved it. It was so easy to ring journalists. I mean, I, you know, we all think that journalists are going to snap at you and go, how dare you come and talk to me? Who are you? Um, and of course, they're super grateful. And, uh, you know, I was quite shocked by how easy it was. I went back to the DVD company and I said, you know, I've got seven interviews or whatever. And they said, wow, that's amazing. Here's another five DVDs. And hence, I started an agency on the back of that. So started off doing DVDs, moved into lifestyle. We grew to about seven staff and then the GFC hit. And around that time, we were working with a lot of mumpreneurs. So around the beginning of the sort of 2005-ish, there were a lot of women who decided that they were going to start businesses on the back of having kids. And the businesses they had were amazing. They were like super innovative products and services. And we knew that the media desperately wanted them. And yet these people were peeling off because, of course, PR is not the top priority when, you, when a you know, financial crisis hits. And I just had this moment where I went, why don't we just teach them how to go directly to the journalists? Because, you know, the journalists need those stories. And so uh, we started Handle Your Own PR. It had a million and one iterations along the way. And then in 2015, I did what I wouldn't recommend any um, entrepreneur does, but I sold my house and decided to back myself. And I built a PR SaaS platform, uh, which is called Handle Your Own PR. It's got a whole lot of uh, journalist contacts on it. And people can build their own media lists and send out to the media. So that sort of kept me occupied. And I was going on this route. 
And then at the end of 2019, I saw um, a post on LinkedIn from a guy I'd never heard of called Aaron Young saying, hi, I'm starting a TV network and I'm looking for people to interview. And being the slut for publicity that I am, I immediately put up my hand and said, you know, can I, will you interview me about handle your own PR? And I went in thinking that this would be in his bedroom, you know, it would be just a tiny little low key thing. And it, look, it was in a co-working space, but it was so professional. It just looked really schmick. Mm. And at the end of it, at the end of the interview, he said, oh my God, you're so much fun. Would you consider hosting the lunchtime show with me? And I was like, yay, I've been discovered. So it was, it was a great moment. And it taught me so much. So I hosted this show. I hosted a show, the, the lunchtime show. I, for a short while, I did a show called Handle Your Own PR, where I coached people about PR. Uh, but I realized not a lot of people want to show that weakness, you know, on TV, okay. um, as in, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I said to him, can I do a show about women in business? Because there's just nothing on television. And he said, sure. And I started She's the Boss, which was all about female founders and women doing extraordinary things in business. And what I discovered is how many incredible women that there are out there doing amazing things to improve the planet, disrupt industries, very purpose-driven. And I thought, um, I just love doing this. And in the, in the same breath, he was coming back to me saying, look, I don't really think that people are that interested in listening to old women talk about business. And I was saying, well, I think you're completely wrong. So uh, from that, I started a podcast um, because he said, if you want to do long interviews, do a podcast. And I said, okay, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. um, so then um, I, the, the, the lockdown came. So the lockdown came in the March and I thought I'm going to start, I've just signed up for Zoom. I'm going to see how it works. Why don't I do a lunch for female founders? Mm -hmm. So I started um, a lunch, just said, if you're a woman in business, you're working on your own, come and join us. And that's been going now for two years every Friday. I've just moved it to fortnightly. Um, then uh, I parted ways with Ticker. And that was at the second lockdown in the beginning of 2020 or the middle of 2020. And I went to the She's the Boss group that I'd started on Facebook. And I said, listen, I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to do the show anymore. And they all said, no, no, you have to. And this is the universe delivering. And one of them has a big media training company. And she said to me, I've just dismantled a whole TV studio's worth of equipment and I don't know where to put it. Would you like it over the lockdown? And my son in the same breath said, I'll produce a show for you. So we started the She's the Boss YouTube channel. Um, I think what was great about it was I suddenly thought there are no borders. Why don't I start going after like really amazing women wherever they are? And I started chasing women um, and signing them up for interviews everywhere from Iceland to New York to London to Paris, you name it, and absolutely loved it and realised that um, this is something that I really want to do. I really want to make women more visible and I love interviewing people. And then the girl said to me, and she's the boss, well, what are you going to do with this? And I thought, what do I really want to do? And I thought, I want to give other women the opportunity I had of hosting a TV show because it makes a huge difference to your profile and also allows you to reach out to people that probably wouldn't pay much attention to you otherwise. And so I've decided to start a TV network for women in business that I'm going to call She's the Boss. Uh, it's going to be global and it's going to be focused on, it's only going to have female hosts and it's going to be focused on all the things that we need to know about starting businesses and running businesses and making ourselves more visible. 
Fantastic, Julie. Um, <laughs> there you go in a nutshell. So many, so many elements of that story that I love. Can we go right back sure. and um, go right back to your kind of upbringing and values that sort of shaped you in the first place? Sure. Well, I've got a very unusual background because I was born in Ireland. My parents were um, are both Irish. My father wanted to be a doctor, and so he joined the British Army as an officer to be put through medical school. So up until the age of 11, we lived in Germany, Cyprus, England, Ireland, and all over the place. And we used to take our holidays in France and Italy. Uh, we moved to Australia when dad answered an ad in the British Medical Journal for a doctor in Melbourne. And I I'll never forget, we'd just come back from holiday and dad said, we're all moving to Australia and I've got three younger brothers. And we were all screaming through the house going, Skippy and kangaroos and <laughs> koala bears, having no idea about Australia at all. Um, we arrived here when I was 11 and a half. Uh, my family, everybody used to describe us as like the Brady Bunch, very, very close, very loud dinner table conversations. Uh, my father pretty much said, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you put your mind to it. Mm. Um, and my mum was a physio who then when we, and the other thing I think that was quite profound for us was that we came to Australia and the job didn't work out. So dad had signed up because he wanted to, he was an obstetrician at that stage, obstetrician and gynecologist. Uh, when we got to Australia, he had been told that it would be a general practice that he'd be doing 10% of the time and 90% um, ONG. And it was actually the other way around. And the other thing that really struck him, I just remember this so well, was he said, I do not want to sit in an office where everyone's coming in going, hey doc, can I have a sicky cert? And that's really what he felt it was. So he went out on his own. I remember him sitting us all down and saying, okay, guys, we're going to get a can of baked beans a week and we're all going to share the baked beans. We'll be cutting them in half and you know all this kind of thing. But I have three brothers and funnily enough, all of us are entrepreneurs. All of us have started our own businesses. And I wonder whether it was that dad going out on his own and us seeing how hard they worked mm. to sort of build up their own practice that affected us. So um, did all of that, was pretty good at school, pretty popular, enjoyed school, left and went overseas for a while and then came back and went to uni, which I loved, but I was very much the rebellious, spend all the time at the pub and getting result with hells and having a great time writing for the newspaper and um, interviewing people. And um, from there, my, my, I remember mum and dad said, you have to get a job, like you just can't sit around You've done three years at uni. You kind of haven't got a degree yet. What are you going to do? And yeah. they signed me up for a friend of theirs who owned a dress shop. And it was hideous. <laughs> I can't begin to tell you. It was all suits. And I had been, I did media studies at RMIT, very alternative looking. You know, we were all shaving our heads and yes. wearing crazy clothes. And I suddenly had to put on full three-piece suits and look like a businesswoman. Anyway, I did that for a while. I then got headhunted by the Herald Sun into their management program. Right. And for two years, and I got a fabulous training. I remember we were trained at the MCG in one of the corporate boxes. There were four. How of did us. you get? How did you get headhunted from working in? Yeah, in a, in, a, in a shop. Well, yeah. in, all the way through uni, I did um, telemarketing. And I would just check because it was fantastic. You'd do four hour blocks, you'd get paid well. And we heard about this job at the Herald Sun that in, and this is 1990, uh, 1990, probably $22 an hour. It was huge wow. money and you do four hour blocks. So I went in and I was working there part time for quite a long time in their classifieds department. 
before, you know, while I was a student. And then somebody had noticed me, I guess, and they just pulled me in um, when Murdoch had just bought it. So anyway, I did that for a while. It was absolutely hideous. I can't begin to tell you what it's like when you're 21 and you walk into a room that you're managing of 75 women. Most of them have been there for 20 years mm -hmm. and we're just like, who the hell are you? You're an upstart. And I had a boss that was something out of a novel, really, because I remember her at once. She worked her way up from the ground floor, highly protective of her role. And I remember her saying to me, you better do the right thing, because what I used to do in my last job when I was a psychiatric nurse was we would shove your head down the toilet and flush it if you do anything wrong. So, and I was just absolutely terrified, you know. Welcome, welcome to work. Yeah, yeah, a little bit nerve wracking. Um, and then from there, I went for a job at Peter Isaacson Publications, which was a newspaper based out of Greville Street in Paran, fabulous spot. And I, it was the best job I think I've ever had in my life. Peter Isaacson really believed in creating a family. So there were about 120 of us there. To this day, we still have catch-ups. You know, he died a couple of years ago, but it was just a beautiful, beautiful environment. Did that for a long time and then decided I wanted to go out on my own at about 23, 24. Um, started working with a company that was a graphic design and silicon graphics company, which no one had heard of. I remember going around trying to explain what CD-ROMs were to organisations. And then from there, um, fell into uh, starting my own agency, a graphic design agency with two of the people in that company when the company closed. And we did our agency for about three years. I was doing new business and they were designing. Um, and we basically kind of had a falling out over work ethic. I guess we started doing quite well. And I said, look, I want to start doing four days a week. And they were like, that's not what happens. You know, we want you in here at 8.30. And I said, it's time to part. Um, and I took the money that I got from the business and I went over to London and I ended mm -hmm. up working there as a freelance account director and account manager for five years. Absolutely loved it. Okay. Um, came back and then it's pretty much, and then found out I was pregnant and then it pretty much leads into meeting Mark Mitchell and off we went. So, so always, always an entrepreneur, really. Kind of, yeah, always an entrepreneur, always in sales, which is weird because I loathe doing sales now on my own stuff. But yeah, yeah always quite entrepreneurial, loved working for myself, very independent. Okay. So you have interviewed so many incredible <laughs> female leaders and you and I share a very common um, drive to make successful female leaders more visible. Yeah. Yep. What are you, what, are there things that surprise you? With the people that you interview, if I said, you know, two or three things that surprise you, what, what would come to mind? Um, the first thing that has really shocked me is the number of women that have had burnout. That has really surprised me. I would say half the women that I interview have at some stage worked themselves into ill health. Yes. And I'm shocked by that because I guess I don't have that same drive. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't managed to do it to myself. Um, but, but that really shocked me. And so one of the questions I always ask now is how people are juggling work and life and are they giving themselves time out? Mm. Um, the other thing that has really surprised me, and it's weird, but in the entrepreneurial world, I've interviewed about 200 women. I would say at least 40% of them started out as a lawyer. That is the other thing that has really surprised me. So there's something about working in that very male dominated industry. And that's often why they've left because they felt that they weren't being heard. But 
it gives them a bravery that a lot of other women don't have. I don't know whether it's because they understand the system, mm. but a lot of them go out on their own and do incredibly well um, on the back of a legal career. And I guess the, if, you were to, if I was to say the third thing would be how, I, I think it's how the women who are really successful have a purpose to what they're doing. So I think with most of them, they want to make change happen. So whether it's within an organisation, because I do interview some women who are CEOs within large corporates, um, like you were, um, and also the entrepreneurs. But most people, I think, these days, the women I'm interviewing anyway, want to make a difference. So whether it's around domestic violence, ageism, racism, um, getting more women into onto boards and into being, you know, senior roles, all of those things um, are what are driving the women that I'm talking to. Jules, why are you focused on women? It's a really good question um, because, because I would consider myself a very blokey woman, really. I mean, I'm so, I've got three sons. I've got three brothers. I'm surrounded by men. I'm, even the dog is a, is a man. A <laughs> dog is a male. Um, but I've worked with women, particularly since I've been in PR. So that's, what, 20 years now. And I love them. And I find that for a lot of women, there's a lack of confidence and that if you can just G them up and tell them that it's possible, they'll do it. So I guess I really love working with women because I think I can make a profound difference mm -hmm. and because women need help. I don't think the blokes need any help. I think they've got that well sorted between, uh, you know, what's going on in corporate land and outside of. There's a lot of authority that they're given just because, you know, they, they're men. So uh, I, I I love helping underdogs. I don't think we are underdogs, really, but I just think that we need more visibility and support. And the other thing, I guess, is that I think that women need to understand that we need to support each other. And I think that there are a lot of women out there who believe that, but there are an equal amount of women who don't necessarily see that. But I've gone in, looked at the stats. I mean, the stats actually support the fact that if you have a support group of women around you, you will almost definitely rise higher than if you're trying to do it on your own. And I think I'm good at bringing women together and geeing them up. So that's just become part of it. And, and I love it. And, and I have a lot of blokes around me going, how come I can't come into She's the Boss? And I'm like, because you haven't got ovaries, sorry. <laughs> I was going to, I was actually, that made me laugh. I was thinking the same thing because with Brave Feminine Leadership, the question we get asked most now is what are you doing for guys as well? Because <laughs> they um, need the help, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they do. So Jules, do you, um, I'd love to ask your perspective on this with all of the, sure. you know, yourself as a leader and all the leaders that you've interviewed as well. Do you think leaders are born or made? Oh, I think it's a bit of both. I think some people are naturally leaders. Um, but I have seen people that I would consider very quiet, introverted, possibly, I guess I associate leadership in some ways with being outgoing. And yet I've seen very introverted women become incredible leaders. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, I think it's a mix of both. I think you can become a leader. And I also think you can fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have to do that as women sometimes, you know, there are, we, we hear the time all the time about men who have 30% of the skills will go for a job and go, yeah, yeah look, I can fluke the rest of it. Whereas women have 97% of the skills and go, but I'm missing that bit. So I don't know whether I should do it. So I say, fake it till you make it. Like you'll always be able to learn and you've just got to back yourself and have that confidence to, to push through. 
What would you call out um, along your incredible journey? What would you call out as, you know, critical moments that, um, you know, elevated your own leadership? Uh, There's been quite a lot. So um, the first one was when uh, my son was born and I tried to start the graphic design business and I really struggled and meeting Mark Mitchell. That was definitely a moment I... You know, what's weird is my uncle in Ireland has the biggest PR company in Ireland. So I and he was my favorite uncle. So I grew up kind of knowing what PR was when I was 18. I went and worked in Ireland at his agency for a while, but I could never see a path to get into it. So I just starting it myself was one moment. Um, Then I would say so that got me into graphic design uh, that got me into the PR The other thing was the GFC. So that hit and all our clients peeled off. And I just remember having that light bulb moment of, hang on, we could just connect people and teach them how to do it. Um, Another one was selling my house, putting all the money into the PR SaaS platform, trusting a man that I thought was going to partner with me on all of it, um, who walked away in the middle when the money ran out. And that was you know, one of the things that you have to realise is when the, when the rug is pulled out from underneath you and you have nothing, which I had at the time, you've just got to find a pathway to keep going. And I did. Um, and then out of that, I guess, meeting Aaron, seeing that post on LinkedIn and having the opportunity with Ticker TV was massive for me. Um, and, and then the rest of it, I feel like I'm channeling it. Honestly, She's the Boss has just kind of happened. It's obviously meant to be. I don't feel I've, I've, pushed and struggled with handling your own PR. I don't feel any of that with She's the Boss. It just all feels right. Can I ask you about the the meeting with Mark Mitchell? Sure. What did you, you know, if you think back over that now, what, what do you think you did that created the impression that you're the person that, that he needed to appoint for this? To be fair, I was there with my fabulous friend, Sue Fennessy, who had had a big PR agency and she had brought me along. So I'd gone, I've known Sue since we were kids. And I said to her, I don't know what to do. Like, I just can't seem to bring the business in with the PR agency. And she said, come with me to this party. Mm-hmm. And so she came and introduced me. And I actually think it was by association. I do have a big personality. So probably made, that made it believable that I was doing PR. But I, I really put it down to the fact that he came to the wrong conclusion and I let him come to that conclusion. <laughs> well, happily for both of you at the yeah, end. Isn't yeah, it? So, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. So you didn't necessarily, you went there hoping, but was, I mean, did you have clarity that there was an opportunity that you no. could win when you were there? No. So it was. No, I, I actually left and said to Sue, I think he thinks I do PR and I don't do it. And Sue said, it's easy. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. I remember. And then I picked up this job and I was like, I don't know how to do it and um, rang some friends of mine to ask, you know, literally, how do you do it? And they said, there's this book called Maggie G and that will have phone numbers in it and just call people up. And the first guy I rang was a guy called Paul Dowsley, who's now quite a senior producer in radio, but he was working on Bert Newton's show. And I just remember him saying, you'll love this. Um, I said to him, you know, I've got, Bert, I've got um, Mark Mitchell ready for an interview. Would you be interested? And he said, who are you? And I said, what do you mean, who am I? And he said, I've never heard of you. And I said, do people in media know everyone who's in PR? And he said, yeah, pretty much. And I was like, oh, my God. And then he said, are you a drag queen? (laughs) And I said, no. And I get this all the time because I've got such a deep voice. People think I'm a bloke, particularly on the phone. So I was like, no, no, no. You'll meet me at some stage and you'll (laughs) realise. 
<laughs> but anyway, it goes to show I've got a good sense of humour. So how did you, you know, you talk about the moment, um, you know, your back's really against the wall then in the creation of the SaaS platform. Yep. I assume it's the person helping you develop has stepped away. What did you do? How did you find I you know, the, the courage or whatever to sort of take the next steps? There's nothing like necessity to make you have to do something. Yeah. I froze. I know, I know I've done that. You know, when, when bad things happen, I don't know what to do. I freeze for a minute. So I'm like lost. I don't know what to do. And then I start really sort of working my network. So I rang a few people that I knew who understood digital design a bit. And I said, I don't even know what to do. How, where can I get started? And they said, let me come in. We'll go through the website. We'll start looking at what needs to be done. Um, so I had people donate time and effort. My partner, Dave, is amazing. And his background is um, he worked at Goldman Sachs to, as a business analyst and sort of systems, whatever. So he was able to help me sort of mat it out and calm me down a bit. And then you just start moving. So we started tweaking this and changing that. And what can we do with what we've got now and, and slowly grow it that way? I love the description of his title. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you paying attention at the time when he was in that job? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know him then. I only met him afterwards. <laughs> so um, let's talk about sponsors and mentors that you've had along the way. Um, who've helped you and how have you found them? Um, loads of people have helped me, I've got to say first. Like, I mean, really, I, I, I don't know how I find them and I don't know how I, why they help me. I guess I, over the years, have helped a lot of people. I, mm -hmm. I do, you know, put myself out to help as many people as I can. And you, as women, we all go, it's all karma, it'll come back to you. And I was like, it doesn't come back to you at all. I've been doing this for years and here I am stuck. But when my back was against the wall, I made some calls to some people that I know. They said, no problem. One of them um, had just left a big agency and he said, let me just come and help. Um, I trusted their, I, I have a very creative brain. I'm a very scattered kind of person in a lot of ways. Um, and they were very systems driven and that really helps ground me. And Dave was fabulous. He just spent a lot of time going through numbers with me and helping me work out where the strengths were. What could I do now without the PR SaaS platform to just get some money coming in, which was just coaching people um, and then slowly build it up from there and, and off we go. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough. I mean, you know, and so when the pandemic came and everybody really, there were so many women that I could see spiraling going, my career's over. It just didn't affect me in that same way, which I was very, very lucky about, partly because I've been working from home and I had an online business, but it just kicked in some other thing inside me that said, I really want to help you all now. Mm. That's fascinating. I mean, you are incredibly generous in that regard, in terms of helping, but why female entrepreneurs? Like, is that just the space you knew, the space yes. you worked in? It's, I mean, I, I guess I didn't. Well, I, one of the things that has happened since She's the Boss is that I have realised there isn't a lot of stuff for female founders. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of startup stuff, but it's very much geared at, you know, you must be young or you're, you know, about to start a new career. There's nothing much out there for women who've been running a business for, well, we've just done some research and most of ours have been running it for more than five years and quite a lot more than 10 there is also nothing much out there for women over 45 so I think I had been quite closely involved with Mia Friedman's Mamma Mia 
Yes. Uh, when she started the Lady Startup Program, I was um, the PR component of it. But I just felt like, firstly, I was fed up working with startups. Um, I love the women. I love helping them, but there's no money there. And I have spent 10 years helping those women and living on the smell of an oily rag. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I thought, you know, I am actually a mature woman that has been running businesses for 20 years. So I don't really need to work in that space. And the women came to me. So uh, when I first put it out, a lot of it were my customers from Handle Your Own PR. And I did some research about three years ago. I don't do, I'm not very good at sort of analyzing my stuff, but I did some research and realized that over the years, I think I'd had worked with well over a thousand business owners and 85% of them were women. So I was attracting women. I was loving working with women. So it just seemed, I was terrified of making the jump and cutting out the men. I thought, you know, that's half my market. But the reality is, and I've just been working with someone recently on it, choose your lane and go for, go hard in your particular niche and you'll be fine. And so I thought, well, I am a 56-year-old woman who's been an entrepreneur. Seems logical to me that I help other women who are like me. So along the way in your career, Jules, have you come up against any of the sort of double binds that, you know, I often hear women face? And so as an example, um, being labelled aggressive instead of <laughs> assertive. Um, All my life. Too loud, too soft, too this, too that, never quite right. Bossy um, is the one that I used to get and I can't stand it. It's just got really negative connotations, but it's about leader leading. Yeah. But yes, I have. That? Do you hear that sort of, you know, from within your community? What sort of feedback do you hear um, about their experiences? Now, uh, as yeah. in through She's the Boss, yes. I, uh, if I was talking about them, I've heard absolutely hideous experiences, like shocking. Uh, there's one woman, Jessica Hickman, that I interviewed who started a business called Bullyology because she worked in a big mining firm and made 35 complaints to head office and they never got rid of the guy. Um, in the end, she left and then got contacted a year later by a young girl who said, I'm ready to commit suicide. I'm still, I'm working in this place and this guy is being awful. And I just thought, I can't believe that he, he was kept on. Um, so I've heard lots of, of the sort of um, women being told that they're too aggressive, women being told that they're too loud. Myself, I am a loud, aggressive woman. I don't know that I'm particularly aggressive, but I mean, I'm not going to put up with somebody saying no um, yes. if I disagree with it. So, yeah, I've, I've had it a lot. And I just think it's time for us all to kind of embrace that, own it in the same way that being gay was derogatory many years ago and it implied that you weren't serious. You know, yes, we're aggressive and loud women and we are opinionated, but we've also got loads of experience and our, our opinions are not to be ignored. Yeah. You know. Lots to offer along the way. So you help women raise their profile, right? Yep. And, yep. you know, I guess ultimately the, the TV channel has got very much the same sort of um, angle to it. Why does that matter to you so much? Um, I realized, look, it, it was, it was a series of things. So I'd been working on She's the Boss for probably a year. Um, some research came out from the Institute of Media Diversity or something in Australia. And it, and I just couldn't believe it because it said a hundred percent of us, the Australian free to air programmers at white Anglo-Saxon men over 50. And I just couldn't believe that it was 100%. I mean, I expected it to be high, but that seemed ridiculous to me. 
Um, so I heard that and also I forgot to mention, but I had some TV shows that I wanted to get off the ground a few years ago. And I got as far as presenting it to James Fennessy the day that he started Shine Australia. It was the day before they opened their doors. He loved it. We went right down this route and then at the very end, it was all about, it was called the Mumpreneur Challenge. And it was about women competing against each other in business. And it got down to the producer level and they were all 25 year old guys and they were like, who would ever watch this? Who wants to know about mums? Who cares about women in business? We know Shark Tank didn't work in the first iteration. Um, so, you know, we don't think it'll fly. So I knew that there was this pushback around women in business. Um, and then I had that experience with uh, Ticker saying pretty much the same thing. And then Gina Davis, you know, Gina Davis from Beetlejuice and yes. um, Accidental Tourists. I don't know if you realise, but 30 years ago, she set up the Gina Davis Institute for Women in Media or something. Um, and in that time, she has been the biggest commissioner of research around women in the media globally. And she came out with a report that said that women feature in less, women over 50 feature in less than 4% of media worldwide. And I think that was the final straw that broke the camel's back. And I thought, I need to do it. I, I mean, you know, maybe there will be other women who, do, who will do it, but I don't see that happening. And so I'm going to do it. So, and I had the beauty of working with Ticker TV as a startup when it was one tiny little desk in a tiny room um, and watched him grow. So I figured that I kind of, if I pulled in the right women, would be able to do something similar. But the real reason I want to do it is the huge difference it made to my profile. And I think that I want to do that. But so my, my mission is to set, teach 150 women how to host a TV show over three years. And by the mm -hmm. time I've done that, we will have a TV show, a, a TV network that will have loads of shows on it with loads of content. And then I can step back and retire. <laughs> That's my idea. Hand it down to the next generation. That is a fantastic goal. In, in my very first series, Jules, I interviewed, um, just speaking about women in media and portrayal yeah. on TV and those sorts of things, um, I introduced Sarah Harden, the CEO of Hello Sunshine. So oh, Reece, my goodness, yes. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon's media company. And it was just, it was fascinating listening to some of those statistics. And it really goes to the heart of... Um, uh, you know, all of the you can't be what you can't see. Yes. Um, so for me, you know, this is really exciting, the work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, and, you know, if you're one of the first, that's fabulous because, you know, there can be seconds and thirds and fourths. Absolutely. And I hope there's 50 of them. 50 and, then of them stop, and then we stop counting because yeah. it's, it's not, you know, abnormal anymore. So, and I yeah. think a big part of it is I have this vision in my head of a young girl, maybe a six or eight-year-old, walking past the TV and seeing all sorts of different women um, hosting TV shows. And I want, I want this to be really diverse. I want to have um, disabled women. I want migrant women. I want accents. I want fat women and thin women and old women and young women. And just to show us the kind of women that are out there because we just don't see them on TV, I don't think. Mm. Amazing. So people need to keep an eye out for you if they've got a hankering to uh, host their own TV show. Absolutely. Um, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'm hoping later this year it'll be all up and running and off we go. I've just got to raise some investment first. What's your perspective on why we're not seeing more females in senior leadership roles? So going through to CEO level, um, you know, particularly in the corporate space. 
I think it's because we don't have enough women on boards. That's that's really the beginning of it. I think um, the ASX 200 did that. They they launched something last year or did a media release last year to say we're really excited because 30 percent of the ASX 200 now have women on the boards. So, <coughs> excuse me. I actually went in and looked at those stats, and and so we're talking about. It was whatever, look, okay, so we've got 200 people and it was 30%. So it was 60. Of those 60 boards, 38 of them only had one woman. And a lot of those were um, the same woman. So that's the other thing that we don't hear about. We've got the same women appearing on boards. Um, and then I thought about it and I thought, I don't think it's fair to have one woman on a board because I don't think you can really move the dial if you haven't got an ally. So I guess even though I'm not in that world, that is where I think it needs to start. I think that it, I mean, if you think about it logically, if you are selling green, selling um, anything to green and yellow um, people, would you have only the yellow people making all the decisions about what the green and yellow people want? It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm. Um, there isn't, there's just no logic behind it. So yeah, so I want to see that change. Um, and I guess I feel because I'm outside of the corporate structure, I can be a bit loud and a bit bolshy without it affecting my career. So I want to really help as many of those women as possible without being in that world. So they need people like you who really know how to navigate the system. But if I can G them up and say, go and do it, just give it a go. Like we need you and we need more women in politics. But we need all those senior roles. We need them to be equally men and women because otherwise we're getting a distorted you know, skew. And that's what's been happening the last um, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Jules, one of the things that, um, you know, occasionally I hear is, um, you know, female only sort of networking groups and things yeah. like that um, all operate on the premise that there is something wrong with females that needs to be fixed. Do right. you um, do you ever hear that? Um, and no, or no. No. Okay. Well, that's good. I've never heard that. I hear a lot of why are you doing it in isolation? If you want it to be equal, then why aren't you being equal? Um, I hear a lot of that. Yes. And my answer to that is when things are equal, I'm very happy to be even handed about things, but at the moment it's women who need a lift up. So that's why mm. I'm focusing on women. Mm. What do you want female entrepreneurs to know, Jules? What's the message that comes out of being part of your community? I want, I uh, look, I'm watching what's happening out there in terms of employment opportunities for women over 50. I'm seeing a lot of women being made redundant or losing their jobs and then spending maybe 18 months or two years trying to find another role. They end up with a junior version of it. And I actually went to a, um, a Westpac Ruby Connection event one night. Uh, this is about five years ago, but it's really stuck in my mind. And there were two women there that I was talking to. And one of them was the ex-marketing manager for, the, for a big organisation. And she said, I've been looking for work for 18 months and I just cannot find any jobs. And I said, why don't you go out on your own? And she said, I've never even thought about that. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I mean, you've been marketing manager for this huge organisation. Loads of people would want your skills. And she said, it has never occurred to me. So what I want women out there to realise is that there are lots of us to support you and go, give it a go, go out on your own. It's very empowering. It also, for those of us who have kids, who have other obligations, allows you that flexibility. And there is nothing like that first paycheck or the first 
month or so, when you see the money coming in, you've earned it all yourself and you know you're making a difference. So Did that person go and do that? I don't know. I didn't. I, I literally just met her at a party and just, I, I just, it just, it blew my mind that she hadn't even thought about consulting. I just, I just couldn't believe that she was so desperate. She was so down. Her, She was there with her, obviously her bestie who had a job who was saying, you know, we'll see if we can find somebody else who might employ you. And I was like, employ yourself. Mm. That is, that is fascinating. And I just wonder if you have a perspective on, um, the people who are out there who've started their own thing. Yeah. I just wonder, um, do you have a perspective on, you know, is there something that separates the two groups? As in the people who've made the leap and the people that haven't. Yes. Uh, yes. I've, I think it's support. I mean, this is why I keep coming back to the She's the Boss group. I run, as you know, live events, introducing people. If you know that there are a couple of women who have either done something similar or who've got your back and can see how you can do it, it makes such a difference. Mm. I think it's interesting because I think there's some myths and I wanted to pick up, you You flagged a little bit earlier around women supporting other women. Yep. And that there's a lot that got it and there's some that don't. Can you yep. just expand on that for me? <laughs> Put me on the spot, why don't you? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, okay, what do I mean by that? I mean that... There are, look, I've interviewed women who are in corporate and they're much to my absolute horror. So uh, one of the questions I ask in She's the Boss is, are there any women that have helped you? Because I don't feel that we do enough shout outs for women out there who are supporting other women. Um, and most of them will always have a few women that have been really helpful. But there was one woman I interviewed, incredibly senior, she'd been in charge of 50,000 staff at one stage. And I said to her, same question, you know, are there any women that helped you? And she said, no, I can't think of one woman that has helped me. And that really shocked me, really shocked me. And so I guess uh, my opinion on it of it is that the women that don't support other women have been completely um, my, my opinion anyway, is that they've been absorbed into the whole patriarchy. And in order to become successful, they have had to start thinking like a bloke. And as a result, and we can talk about quotas, if you like, in a minute, because I love that one too. But as a result, they, I, I think that there is an old fashioned model, which is that says that if you get people competing head to head, you get the best out of them. I don't believe in that. But I think it's it, those are the two mentalities. One is be open and generous, have other people support you, do it together. Or this is a rat race, it's survival of the fittest. You know, I'm going to climb over as many people as I can to get to where I need to get to. And if I didn't do it, someone else would do it. And I guess I'm trying to change the narrative a little bit around that. Um, I've helped a lot of, I've, I've actually introduced a lot of women that I think have been very isolated in their roles to other women and they have been shocked. They say to me, I can't believe all these women are so supportive. And I'm like, it's everywhere. It's just kind of open up your heart, open up your eyes and you'll see it. I'm gonna um, ask you about quotas. Yeah, but great. I <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Jules, just before I do on the um, supportive side of it. Because one of the things that um, I do as part of Brave Feminine Leadership, you know, is run group masterminds. Yeah. And, and they're, they're small sort of cohort groups. And, you know, often people will say, I don't really know if the group thing's going to work for me. Yeah. And then when they're in there, the magic happens in terms of a group of women who are supportive and vulnerable and open 
um, and, and start to see the benefit and bravery of having that support network around them. But I agree. I think there's a lot of people that are isolated. I think um, it's, it can be really shocking for some women how much support there is out there for them and they don't realise it. I mean, I've seen tears from people going, I, I just can't believe that people want to help me. Yes. You know, and, I, and they're not asking for anything in return. Yeah. And it's like, no, because if we all help each other, we'll all grow. So quotas. Okay. <laughs> and again, I just have to preface this by the fact that I am not in the corporate world, but I cannot bear the comments that come out about, is it quotas, quotas or merit? Mm. Now, I don't understand how those are mutually exclusive. I would say we need quotas until we've got equality. And quotas work. We know they work. But that doesn't mean that you're taking somebody who is shit at their job because you have to take a woman. That's the bit I don't understand. It's like, yes, it's important that you get women because you need that balance on your board or you need that balance in your management team. However, don't go and pick up a rubbish person. There are fantastic women out there. Um, you know, just it might mean you have to look a bit harder. But there are an awful lot of guys, and I think uh, my partner, Dave, really says it perfectly, um, where he says, in that boys' network, you, could, you will find that men will bring in someone who's rubbish at a job, but they'll do it just because they went to school with them or whatever. That person gets a role as an MD or a CEO. They might be absolutely crap at it, but they then, once they're there, just get pushed up and pushed up. So um, we haven't got that network at the moment happening with women, but that's what I'd like to see. I'm not saying that we want the rubbish people, but I'm just saying we need quotas in order to get that equality and people need to hunt that little bit harder for the right woman not just take someone and 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 then occasionally I did a post on LinkedIn the other day and a woman said but I would hate to be I would hate people to think I only got my job because I'm a woman and otherwise you know and I'm like but why would anyone say that if you do a good job it's not going to make any difference but it's just yeah so and and let me also say I do understand we need male allies I understand that there are wonderful guys out there who are doing everything they can to help us as well. But my personal mission is just to help raise women up. Interesting conversation. It's part of this series as well. And I interviewed this amazing woman, Laura Liswood. Mm. And Laura um, was involved in starting an organisation that basically is a networking group of all female um, democratically elected politicians. Wow. So, you know, it's got Angela Merkel, it's got Julia Gillard, it's oh, got, you know, amazing. you name them. I think there's 83 members and there's never more than about 15 sitting at any one point in time. So right. absolutely fascinating. And um, we had the sort of quota um, conversation. As, yeah, quota conversation as well. And, you know, there were a couple of things she said about, you know, success will be when there's mediocre women in those top jobs. Yes, too. yes. Sadly, um, or yeah. that we just get rid of all the mediocre men. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting... Well, interesting what's your, what's your opinion? Let me push it back on you. What do you think about quotas? On, on quotas? Um, I think your opinion... My opinion personally has, has changed um, as... I think as I've gotten older, Jules, as well. Um, you know, I think earlier on in my career, I probably fell into that position of being one of those women who achieved senior roles, believing I did it on merit and not wanting to think that I would have needed to be propelled through the system by some other mechanism. Yeah. The reality is, though, that the pace is so glacial um, <laughs> that there is so much work that needs to be done broadly to fix the system 
um, that I think those type of mechanisms um, are probably appropriate and probably can can help. Just for now, till we yeah, get there. It's not a it's not a long term kind of thing, but yeah, I think for now they they probably can help. Um, yeah. But there's so much more that needs to be done. I went I listened to this really interesting conversation yesterday with Stephen Covey, is one of my favourite authors from right. from years back. And his son is now writing books and he's written this book called Trust and Inspire and it's all about um, the new model of leadership that's needed. And he talks about the fact that command and control leadership is dead. Now, that command and control leadership breeds a lot of things you you spoke about earlier, competition, win, war, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things and language. Absolutely um, fascinating conversation and it's it's totally what I'm all about in terms of those feminine leadership qualities, um, you know, need to be escalated. Um, So, Jules, I want to ask you the question I ask everybody, and thank you for our conversation, (laughs) is, you know, from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean and do you think it needs to change? Brave feminine, well, I, I love the word brave attached to feminine leadership, really. I think it kind of says it all because at the moment you are sticking your head up above the rest of the pack <laughs> you know we are all there I'd like to think supporting you but if you do become a CEO then you are sticking your head up above the pack um, and it's 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 hard to leave particularly hard to leave when you've got um, people trying to sort of white ant your leadership I guess so but for me being a leader is being brave so and being a female leader even more so so um, you know from the moment I met you and heard the name of your business I just love it because it says it all. I, I, I think that, yeah, feminine leadership is what we desperately need and that you do need to be brave in these particular times to go and strive for that. But it's worth it and you'll be helping a hell of a lot of people and we need more visible women um, to inspire that next generation because what we don't want is the women who are in their 30s now having to deal with what we're dealing with. Jules, thank you for being such a brave feminine leader yourself. And, you you know, I'm really um, um, excited to see where we progress with regards to the TV station. And one thing I know for sure is you are, you're going to continue to elevate a whole lot of leaders um, and their visibility. So thank you so much for being part of our conversation. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been great. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much. 